Let us go to God in prayer. Our Father, we acknowledge you are God. You are the God who reigns over the nations. You are God who is seated on your throne. You are the God who has given us your word to instruct us in the way we should live. We thank you for your precious word, your word which is rich and deep and penetrating. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You know our thoughts, Lord, even what we are thinking right now. We pray, Lord, that you take these thoughts of ours captive to the Lord Jesus Christ. As we look into your word, Holy Spirit, come alongside us and teach us the right way to live. For we give you all praise and honour and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have a confession to make. I have been binging on movies lately. There is just so much variety. We are spoiled for choice. You can go to Disney Plus, Netflix, or dim sum. Not the kind we eat, though. I enjoy watching a good movie. A movie with a good moral story. And Walt Disney has made many such movies. I think you may remember the movie Pinocchio, and there you recall Jiminy Cricket, the grasshopper, teaching the little wooden puppet to sing. When you get in trouble and you don't know right from wrong, when you meet temptation, and the urge is very strong. Take the straight and narrow path. And if you start to slide, give a little whistle. Give a little whistle. And always let your conscience be your guide. What is the conscience? Conscience is such a big word, isn't it? But I suspect every one of us knows what it is. We talk about conscience a lot these days. When we see people acting strange and doing funny things, like steal, lie, 
slander, even murder. We say these people have no conscience. In Chinese, we say mo liang sam. And literally, it means no good heart, no conscience. I often wonder, I think you do too, if these people ever feel guilty about what they had done wrong. Is it really they don't have a conscience? Or is it something else? I think it just cannot be true unless they are not human. If I were to ask you to define the word conscience, I think you probably say it's that voice, that little voice that's inside of us that tells us right from wrong. Now listen to some quotes on the definition of conscience and see if it's any different from what you are thinking. One person said this, Conscience is the inner voice that warns us that someone may be looking. Another said, Conscience is what hurts when everything else feels so good. And even another said this, Conscience doesn't always keep you from doing wrong, but it does keep you from enjoying it. I think you're all correct. The conscience is that something, that inner voice that God has given to us, that God has planted in all of us, every human person, every man or woman, you and I are all born with a conscience, a God-given conscience. It follows us around like a shadow, and we are born with that sense of knowing what right and wrong are. We are all without excuse. The text read to us opens with a man struggling to come to terms with his guilty conscience. His name is Herod Antipas. He was one of the sons of Herod the Great, who ordered the killing of all male children two years and younger at the time Jesus was born. Like his father, he was a ruthless murderer. We join the story where Herod is now having awful nightmares. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch, he was called the Tetrarch because he inherited a quarter of his father's kingdom. Herod the Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus and he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. You know, in those days, there were no newspapers, no Twitter, no WhatsApp, no WeChat. 
No social media in those days. News was just spread by word of mouth. And reports came flooding in. Reports of Jesus performing miracles had reached Herod's ears. And he is now disturbed by this news because he is trying to figure out who this Jesus is. You see, he's been having sleepless nights thinking about the man he had murdered. His guilty conscience is now tormenting him. John! Ah, John! Is that really you? Have you come back? Honey, did you have a nightmare? It's okay. Come back to sleep, darling. You see, Herod is about to go mad now. He's just thinking that Jesus was John the Baptist he had killed because of his miraculous powers. And John had now come back from the dead to haunt him. There's a saying we all know, your sin will find you out. You know, sometimes when we commit a sin and act as if nothing is wrong and move on in life, having put it behind us but never having repented of it, it has a strange way of coming back into our lives. You don't fully understand what you did wrong at that time until it hits you much later in life. It just may be something, something recent that has triggered that memory and it comes rushing back into your life. For Herod Antipas, the trigger was the news of Jesus that he heard, which made him remember John, whom he had killed. Now he had to relive that moment, that fateful moment, when he issued the order for John to be executed. We read in verse 3 to 5 the arrest of John the Baptist. And these verses are a flashback to the time when John was still alive. When Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. It's illegal. It's against the law for you to marry this woman. But although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. Herod had now arrested John, thrown him into prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. Herod was married. Then he had to divorce his first wife to marry Herodias. Herod got so very upset because John rebuked him 
for going after another woman. You see, Herod's marriage was no ordinary marriage. There's more to it than meets the eye. Herodias was Philip's wife while she was still married to Philip. And who was Philip? Philip was Herod's half-brother. It was a messy affair. She too had to divorce Philip to marry Herod. Herodias was also the granddaughter of his father, Herod the Great, making her his niece. Can you get it more chaplang? So Herod and Herodias were just too closely related to marry each other. And this news of the scandal broke out and became the talk of the town. People all over could not be stopped could not stop talking about the king and his new wife. So now you know why Herodias was so angry with John, because John is to be blamed for all that gossip. She was very upset. She went to her husband and got John locked up. It was not only Herodias who wanted to get rid of John. Herod also wanted to kill John. But he feared an uprising because the people all looked up to John as a prophet. But John is safe in the dungeon now, but not for long. We fast forward to Herod's palace where the king is throwing a royal banquet to entertain all his friends and dignitaries with free flow of wine, women, and song. We read this. In verse 6, on Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed. But because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request is granted and had John beheaded in the prison. The key verse is found in verse 9. The king was distressed. Why? Because the king was put on the spot. He had to act. He had a little too much to drink feeling a little tipsy, perhaps, and on top of the world, thinking he could do no wrong, like all powerful people are, a little boasting here and there could do no harm. But if truth be told, we too, you and I, can get carried away with our ego more than we know. So Herod made an oath before all his dinner guests. You know what? That he would give Herodias' daughter whatever she asked. And that girl, prompted by her mother, asked for the head of John the Baptist. Herod was shocked. 
for all eyes were on him. What will people say now? But it was too late. He had to show the king he was not about to break his promise. And so to save face, he gave the order for John to be killed. Just think about this for a moment. If only Herod had paused before he acted, John would not have died. Nothing, really, nothing stopped him from holding back. He could have said simply something like this. No, I was drunk at that time. It's just not right. I didn't promise you John's head. Oh yes, I did promise to give you, but anything up to half my kingdom. And this is exactly what is recorded in Mark 6, verse 23. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. I'm reminded of a story. This guy went to a psychiatrist and he complained to his doctor, you know, doc, I've been misbehaving myself lately and my conscience is really troubling me. The doctor turned to him and said, well, would you want something that will strengthen your willpower? The guy said, no, doc, I want something that will weaken my conscience. You can be sure that guy's conscience is working fine. That's why he felt guilty. But he was seeking the wrong remedy. There is a saying that goes, a guilty conscience needs no accuser. Herod's guilty conscience is his accuser. And John's murder was a matter of his own making. He could blame no one else. But because our guilty conscience accuses us, we often think of a guilty conscience in a negative way. We all know King David in the Bible. King David sinned. He committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered her husband. And here in this psalm, he struggled with his guilty conscience, Psalm 32. Listen to what he says. I think we can all identify when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was set. Hear what David says. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the, guilty, the guilt of my sin. Feeling guilty is good. How so? 
Feeling guilty is good if it only drives us closer to God. For some of us, we may be troubled by our conscience for many things, things we have done wrong, terrible things in our life which we regret and wish we could undo. For others of us, you may be struggling with a guilty conscience for things you should have done but didn't do. I should have done more. Whichever it is, whatever that is troubling you, you know you need to set things right. You just can't take care of it yourself. You need Jesus to forgive you your guilt, restore your brokenness, and to heal your wounded heart. King David felt guilty and repented. Herod felt guilty too, but Herod refused to acknowledge his sins. He had many chances to turn around and repent. John had counseled him to leave Herodias, but he rejected it. He heard about the miracles Jesus was doing, but he rejected Jesus. And much later, Pilate sent Jesus to Herod to be tried, and Herod again re rejected Christ. Herod had hardened his conscience. Friends, you don't want to harden your conscience. You don't want to keep a guilty conscience. You want it clean out. You want a clear conscience. You want to be able to say like Paul the Apostle, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges us. Yes, it is the Lord who judges us. There's a verse in the Bible, Ecclesiastes 12, 14, that says, God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Remember, our God is a just God, and you can be sure of that. He says he will judge and he will judge every deed that has ever been carried out by every human person on that appointed day. Now the COVID pandemic is a wake-up call for us. It's a wake-up to the reality of God's judgment. If not for the pandemic that has forced us to go under lockdown, we would never have imagined ourselves appearing on the big screen. Who would have thought ordinary people like you and I would be beaming ourselves live on YouTube as I speak? And people at home can be watching in real time. I can go home afterwards 
retrieve the video and watch it over by myself. I think this is a little peek into the future, that our life will be replayed at the Judgment Day, before the great white throne and the greatest judge, the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I will be able to reveal every word we said, every deed, every action we have done in our life and are called to account. Herod will be called to account. Herodias and John the Baptist and everyone else, including you and me. No one is exempt. As Christians, I believe we are made righteous in Christ through his death on the cross. But we are not exempt from judgment. Therefore, Paul warns us in Philippians to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. In closing, let me ask you this. What is the state of your conscience right this very moment? What keeps you at night? What keeps you up at night? Is your conscience troubling you? You know, it's so easy for us to condemn Herod. Serves him right. He should not only be haunted by his guilty conscience, he should pay for his sins. But just wait a minute. If this message is only all about condemnation, then we are all damned. Thank God it isn't. And that's good news. Herod had two vices sexual lust, and man's empty praise. We are no different. There's a deep longing in all of us. We crave affirmation and love for ourselves. We go to no end to satisfy our cravings. We seek love. And at the end of the day, we want to be loved and to know we are loved and that our lives have meaning and purpose. You see, friends, true love comes from the God who is love. This God who loves us and sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. But the irony of the gospel is this that love comes not from insisting on your own way and trying hard to impress others. True love comes from humbling oneself and serving others and giving of yourself and laying down your life for others and carrying the cross daily. The gospel is good news because God is love. Because we can all find Forgiveness for our sin at the cross. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
And that means we are all included. There's no exception. And intuitively, we all know this. Friends, this is not about taking a guilt trip, not at all. It's about coming to terms with our true humanity and fallen nature, acknowledging that we have missed the mark, confessing that we are sinners before a righteous God and that you and I need Jesus. Call a spade a spade. God calls it sin, and so should we. Nothing to hide. We can't hide from God. We all stand guilty before the righteous judge, and God has the perfect remedy for a guilty conscience. And this is what Charles Spurgeon has said. The only cure for a guilty conscience is the sight of Jesus suffering on the cross. Now there's nothing glamorous about the cross. No fanfare, no fireworks, just an old rugged cross on which Jesus died. Jesus shed his precious blood to pay the penalty for our sins. And we no longer need to carry that guilt. It is not that we are good or deserve to be saved, but Jesus did good. Jesus bore our guilt on that cross to take away our sin. Will you come to the cross? Will you come now to Jesus and say to him, Jesus, take this guilt from me. You bore it on the cross. Forgive me my sin, and I surrender my life to you. Let's pray. Take a few moments to reflect upon the word you have heard and how you are to respond. If you are Christian, tell God that you are thankful that you have been saved and you have eternal life. If you are not a Christian and are seeking the truth, speak to God. He is right here in our midst. And Jesus is opening his arms to embrace you in his love. Come to the cross. Come. Our Father, we want to thank you for your word and message to us this morning. We are once again reminded of your love for us, your unfailing love, your amazing love. 
Thank you for sending Jesus to die for our sins. Lord, we confess we have done many things, many terrible things, things we are ashamed of, things we shouldn't have done, and you know what these things are. We just cannot hide from you, Lord. These things some of us are carrying with us in our guilty conscience, finding it so difficult to release. But we thank you that in you we can find forgiveness and be freed from the guilt that is troubling us. We acknowledge our sin and repent before you. We ask you, Lord, to cleanse our conscience that we may walk out of here redeemed, restored, and forgiven. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We thank Mr. Chu Kaming for the word. We want to come to a time of reflection and discussion questions now. And as usual, we want to encourage you uh, as you go back over the week to reflect or perhaps discuss with your family, your small groups, some of these questions. And so the first question, recall one moment in your life you ignored what your conscience was saying to you. Describe the situation and how you felt. The second question, have you faced a situation where you have compromised your principles and your guilty conscience has come back to trouble you? What did you do? And the third one, what is one thing you will commit to or do to keep a clear conscience? Friends, may we reflect and discuss these questions over the coming week. <laughs> 